Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, we have a couple of buzzes. One is marketing and one is content. Let me get started. Oh, let me get started. We know, you know, I know, we all are bombarded every day, almost by the minute, by a deluge of content. Some of it works. It's intended magic. Most of it falls with a thud, or it simply, thank God, vaporizes and goes away. If you're among the legions of writers, or you manage writers or a team of writers, and they are spewing out amazing amounts of forgettable content that's doing injustice to your brand, even damaging your brand. And the only authentic words coming out of their pens or their keyboards are curses flung at the keyboard. We have help. What a panel I have for you today. I want you to stay tuned for the next, let's check here, 56 minutes. We're going to give you some insider tips to take your writing, your content from dull and irrelevant, oh, boo, to actionable, memorable, experience-rich communication gems. I want to put with sparkly letters on that. I have a panel of experts, and yes, they really are, and I'm warning my panel, I have a trivia question for all of you after I do introductions. So let's really get this party started. First up on the panel is Jeremy Epstein. He is the VP of Marketing at Sprinkler. Those of you who are hiding under a rock, that's Sprinkler spelled without the E, and we'll find out exactly what it is. And Jeremy sent me the following quote, Brands will not survive the social age without experience management. Jeremy Epstein, delighted to meet you. Welcome, and how are you today? Oh, thank you for having me, Bonnie. I'm doing great. Wonderful. So talk to me. Interesting quote. Brands won't survive the social age. First of all, tell us what the social age is. Are we in it right now? We absolutely are. I mean, think about you know, the, the age that preceded us was the Internet age, you know, 1990 to, say, 2005, where the experiences that we had with brands just happened faster. You know, email is faster mail. You know, e-commerce is, is fast commerce. So it just took what we already knew and made things faster. But it didn't really disrupt things. But if you think about the social age and what's happening now, you know, for the next 15 years, starting in, say, 2006 or what have you, customers are connected at scale. They've always been connected, but now they're connected at scale for basically zero cost. And they have more information about your brand, your products, your services than you do. And that flips the equation. Now the customers, as you know, are in control, not you, and they choose where and when to connect. They amplify really good experiences at scale. We've all seen that. And Mm -hmm. bad experiences, as we all know, get amplified at massive scale. So it all comes down to experience and the ability to manage those experiences across all of your touch points. Think about the number of touch points that have exploded now. Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Renren, QQ, Weibo, on and on and on. And that doesn't even count your, uh, include your traditional ones, you know, whether it's your storefront, your contact center, what have you. So if you're not able as a brand to understand who your audience is, who the person is, who's walking in through whatever type of door it is, those mm-hmm. social, digital, physical, and deliver an experience that's consistent with their expectations, you know, and that they're not treated in the way that they expect to be treated, and we all know people's expectations are going higher, 
you're going to pay mm-hmm. a huge price, and those bad experiences will be amplified at massive scale. So our contention is if you can't manage those experiences and keep that information in that context about the nature of your relationship with that person, at one point, you're not going to make it. Okay, well, that's kind of a scary thought. For those who, as I said, may have been hiding under a rock for years, Jeremy Epstein, please just in one sentence tell us what Sprinkler does. So we provide the social uh, infrastructure that connects to all of the traditional back-end systems of, a lo- of large enterprises who we only serve and connect, integrate all of the social touch points that I just mentioned so that at, all, at any point across all of these touch points, you know it's Bonnie D. Graham and you treat her accordingly. And when you're a company with you know, you know, 50,000, 80,000 employees in 100 mm-hmm. countries, You have to do that, so we provide that technology platform. Thank you. I've always wanted to be treated accordingly, so thank you, Jeremy. I'm going to have to ask for respect now. Appreciate that. Great start to our panel. And let's bring on Kari Anderson. She's been on several times before. I have been waiting a long time to bring you back. Kari Mm -hmm. is a Forbes and Huffington Post columnist. She's the author of Moving from Me to We, and she owns SayItBetter.com, and she helps people figure out what to say, to whom to say it, when, how, where, to be much more effective communicators. Now, here's a great quote from Kari, and I'm going to ask her to explain it in just a moment. She says, whoever most vividly characterizes what a situation is about usually determines how others see it in their mind's eye, how others think about it, and how others act upon it. That's a lot of power there. Kari Anderson, how are you? Been too long. What's up? Oh, it's fun times, fun times, as we try to get more specific about how we serve the people we want to serve. Right, Bonnie? (laughs) Absolutely. So talk to me. This is a great quote. There's a lot of meat on the bones here. Why don't you take us through uh, when you say whoever most vividly characterizes. Sounds like that requires a vivid mind, a great skill with writing and putting words together the right way. Talk to me, Kari. Specifically, it means um, understanding a customer's situation and providing them with the context that you show you understand what their experience is and what they want it to be. So if you label it, then that's how they see that situation. Um, for example, Phoenix Hospital actually understood that one of the top two things that most mattered to the um, parents of children they helped bring into the world was buying a safe car seat. So mm. they characterized with an app how to buy the safest one that wasn't directly related to the hospital, but they understood that they wanted to be helpful, and there's helpful helpfulness and unhelpful helpfulness. But when they characterize that experience, offered specific help so that when you're in the store and you hold out the app and you find out the weight of your child, the kind of car you have, you can quickly choose the right car seat. So doing that, they set the situation up and provide the context so people trusted them, talked about them, and um, talked about them in a more holistic way. Uh, and I believe, for example, General Motors this week is still searching for that with a very difficult revelation that um, 10 years ago they were not straightforward about the safety of the car. Mm, interesting. It sounds to me like they're also, Kari, they're also validating the experience of what the families are going through. It might seem minor, but they basically said this is important. We validate you, we understand, and we are here to help. Would you say that's part of the, the uh, interest is we want to be part of that experience for you? 
as I a family? I think you said that very well. Yes. Thank you. It's like a Thank very you. good friend who's competent and caring. We show the context. We have stepped into your shoes. Very nice, and I also hear humanizing in there, caring, relevancy, personalization. We're hitting a lot of lot of touch points here, my dear. A lot more to talk to you about. Thank you so much, Kari Anderson. And let's move to our third panelist, Tim Tim Clark, head of brand journalism at SAP, who is getting accolades from all over as the blog father. I'm so honored to have you on, Tim. <laughs> and Tim sent me the following quote, brief and to the point, which I would expect from him. And he says, tell the story you want to tell, not the story you think you should tell. Tim Clark, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. And I just realized that since I'm a New Jersey native, the term blog father really does apply to me, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) You think so? (laughs) I've been called worse. Anyway, so um, regarding my comments, my quote, um, it's something that I try to evangelize here at SAP, and I hope other people find value in it as they struggle with finding their own voice, um, finding that authentic voice that I think people crave, and just being, uh, you know, um, as as real as possible within the boundaries of your own company, what you're you're able to do. So, when I say tell the story you want to tell, that means put your own spin on you know what currently resides as sort of the marketing parameters within your company. It doesn't mean go rogue. It doesn't mean go off brand. Just try to put your own spin on it. Humanize things a little bit. Mm. Stay away from the marketing jargon and all of the overused buzzwords. Um, you know, don't start off your stories with things like, you know, in today's challenging global business economy. You <laughs> know, how many times have we all heard that? You know, and it's got to stop. You know, these types of things have to stop. And um, likewise, I would add to that, um, you know, keeping with the theme of today's show, you know, doing uh, less better or doing more with less. Um, you know, you really do have to take that to heart, not even just from a volume perspective. Yes, I think we do publish too much. I think there's too much out there. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people get caught up with, you know, ego metrics and impressions and, and, and this volume play, which can be important sometimes. But let's, let's reel that back. Let's not publish stuff for the sake of publishing. And let's rally around the good stuff that we do have out there. And that means, you know, telling your friends about it and, if they're interested in it, have them help you promote it, and also stay engaged. You know, you have to stay engaged with a lot of this content. I think that's a really important piece here because once you're done creating this masterpiece and you put it out there for the world to see, you're mm-hmm. not done. I mean, that's really just the first step. And all of the good stuff that comes after that, which you hope comes, which means you know, comments and, and other things, you know, that's when that, that good pull starts happening, right? I mean, this is the pull marketing that people are after. And if you're not engaged, if you're not the one who's really writing that story, if you're, you know, using a lot of ghostwriters and outsourcing, you know, you're just not going to get that level of engagement, and you're not going to get the results that you want to get. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be missing that authenticity we're all looking for, real people talking to real people. Thank you, Tim Clark. I'm going to throw a ringer in here. I didn't warn the three of you until I opened the show, but I have a trivia question for you. Okay, here it comes. And Jeremy, Kari, and Tim, anyone, just jump up and say your name if you know the answer. The question is, who was the first one to say content is king, and when did they say it? Do you know who's, who knows? Who knows? No. <laughs> Jeremy, I wish any I ideas? Had a smart answer, but I don't. Tim Clark, anything? 
Oh, my goodness. Wow, I, wow, I stumped the panel. I've never done a trivia question in the opening before. Okay, here it comes. You ready? You better sit down. It was William Henry Bill Gates III, erstwhile of Microsoft, in an essay he wrote back in 1996. I think a couple of you were born then. I know I was already alive. And wow. this turned out to be one of the most overused and misapplied phrases in Internet history. In fact, today they're no longer saying content is king. They're saying links are king, but that's another show. And my source, <laughs> and I know Kari wants to know where I got this gem, is icegiant.co.uk. So go blame them if it's wrong. Thank you very much. Now I have a question. I can't believe I stumped you. I have a question <laughs> that all three of you can answer, and it's very important. This is just tremendously important to the show. Our show is Coffee Break with Game Changers, so I have to ask you, what's in your cup today? Now, you know that means if it's something like ho-hum, who cares? Tell me your best story, coffee, tea, water, juice, milk, soda, whatever. No cups of gratitude, no company champagne. We've heard that. So, Jeremy Epstein, you're on the chopping block right now. What's in your cup today, Jeremy? Oh, my gosh. I'm, I feel very nervous. I'm not sure if you're actually talking about the <laughs> cup of coffee in front of me or just the best story I should tell. I'm, I'm, the, the double entendre is getting me here. <laughs> I can tell you buckle under pressure. Great. Go ahead. Give me some good content here, Jeremy. <laughs> um, well, I'll actually – that's a great question. I mean, uh, you know, I would actually say that uh, a couple things. I just got back from uh, South by Southwest. Um ah on Monday night. So uh, some great, great content and some great experiences um, being delivered uh, down there. And I think one thing is I actually say, is, uh, would say that the thing that really popped up to me is that content, we need to kind of uh, expand our definition of content from the way we're thinking even beyond sort of the written infographic video, because we had an event in our offices down there with about 350 people from, you know, some of the, the largest brands in the world. And what everybody said is that the content of the event was fantastic. But what was interesting is we didn't have a formal presentation. All we did is we had thought starters placed around the room around, you know, content and community and conversations, things that are really relevant. And what that did is it spurred the conversation that people might otherwise um, feel uh, a little inhibited to begin having, and it was able to start that, you know, conversation, and that the content was all user-generated, and we just kind of were setting off little uh, ignition points around the room, and people mm -hmm. said, you know, this was great because I had something to you know, use as that icebreaker with someone from another brand, and all of a sudden we're talking about community management or we're talking about, you know, reporting or whatever it is that we care about, and so the content was sort of spontaneously generated. We just sort of provided the platform. So, it really helped me think more broadly and deeply about how do you create valuable content for your audience um, in a way that's consistent with the message you want to talk about but without forcing it down their throat. Okay. So what's in your cup? <laughs> I, I'm just uh, you know, a hardcore French roast guy, straight up. That's what we wanted to know. Good. I know more about you now, and thanks for the story. Appreciate that. Kari Anderson, what are you drinking today, or what do you wish you were drinking? Oh, I had a smile on my face when I read that question. Rebel, R-E-B-B-L. It's um, this intense juice that's from the Amazon that has uh, ginger in it. I've been on three long plane flights and got sick from the neighbors next to me. And Ooh. this has just made me feel better, doubly better, um, because not for sale. The nonprofit that I met in San Francisco to stop human trafficking has helped start this business, and all the money goes to stop human trafficking. So it was a double win, and I'm on my third glass, and I hope I don't have to have a bathroom break before the end of this. 
<laughs> Stop drinking. More talking, less drinking, Kari. Thank you. So it's R. Spell it again for us. R E B. R E B B L. Using Tim's takeoff. I love what Tim said. To to turn it into a recent experience, something that makes it personal for us, that matters to us. R E B B L. Thanks, Tim. That's wonderful. Thanks, Tim. Thanks to you, Kari. And Tim, speaking of the devil, what are you drinking today or what do you wish was in your cup? I am drinking today, well, a kind of a hybrid approach. I'm trying to, I don't drink a lot of coffee, but I'm trying to reduce my coffee intake. So I did have a dark magic Keurig K-cup this morning. (laughs) And I'm following that up. I'm chasing that down with uh, some green tea. So hopefully the medicinal benefits of the green tea will counteract anything bad from the coffee. I'm hoping. Wow, wow. And we have a report from the field. Malcolm, my co-producer, you all know Malcolm Kimberlin, of course. He said he's fresh out of Phil's, and that's P-H-I-L-Z. He, oh, my God. He had to resort to drinking store-bought Starbucks, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> Malcolm, your secret is safe with me. I won't tell a soul. I know Love Todd Wilms is listening. Todd, don't tweet that. Todd Wilms, don't you dare tweet that. Malcolm wants that <laughs> to keep you kept a secret. In case you haven't guessed, our topic today is social and content marketing. Why is less more? We're going to talk a lot about it, but you'll get the drift. I'm very delighted today to be speaking with Jeremy Epstein at Sprinkler, Kari Anderson at... Kari, are we saying you're from moving from me to we, or say it better, or what What do you want me to say where you're affiliated with right now? Say it better. Thank you. Say it better, Kari Anderson, and she does say it better. That's why she's here. And Tim Clark, head of brand journalism at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham and happy to be here, and I want to be treated accordingly. Thank you, Jeremy Epstein. We're going to take a break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad, take us out. Out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back. Our topic today is social and content marketing. Why is less more? Yes, we're talking a lot about it, but you'll take away at the end why less is more. I have a great panel today. We're speaking with Jeremy Epstein, VP of Marketing at Sprinkler, Kari Anderson at SayItBetter.com, and Tim Clark, the head of brand journalism at SAP. Let's kick off our roundtable, and I have to tell the panel, this is going to be about a 25-minute marathon. Put your seatbelts on. No breaks at the halfway point. We're in it. We're 
Brandon for Keeps here. So I'm going to start off with Kari Anderson, one of your quotes you sent me before the show, one of your talking points. Speak to their positive intent, especially when they appear to have none. That sounds like a loaded phrase to me and very crocheteable or paintable. So Kari, talk to us, and then I'm going to ask Jeremy. I understand he's back on a better line. Jeremy and uh, and Tim, I'm going to ask you to speak after Kari explains. So Kari, kick us off, please. Sure. One of the things that happens with the speed of Internet communication is we can spiral down faster to conflict than up to positive connection. And um, we want to stay authentic. So when someone is negative or hostile or not saying the truth as we see it, calling them on it usually makes it worse. But we can presume a positive intent and say, um, something that's authentic to how we feel. seems like you care deeply about this and you have a lot of knowledge if we feel that's true. Say, here's my perspective on the point you raised and, and I look forward to a productive conversation on that. So there's something in advertising from long ago where they call it product comparison. So mm-hmm. either way, at least if you maintain positive, concrete, specific slant on the conversation and they don't rise to the occasion, that comparison is more vivid. More hopefully, they do rise to that, and you have a more civil conversation. I think that's what we're all looking for, although we do like to raise the bar once in a while, make it a little appropriately challenging, we'll say, treat it accordingly. Uh, Tim Clark, any comments on this, speaking to positive intent? Yes, I think so. I think um, what Carrie just said really plays into brand journalism. Um, when you think about Mm-hmm. What people deem to be sexy and, and eye-catching and that sort of thing, it usually is actually negative news, right? I mean, we're all attracted to the 24-7 news cycle of, you know, wars, scandals, et cetera, et cetera. The brand journalist, however, takes a different approach. You are there to be a brand enthusiast. You are talking about positive stories. You are mm-hmm. talking about, you know, in SAP's case, maybe technology implementations that work. Uh, mm-hmm. customers that are happy. These are all things that people can learn from. It's not marketing fluff. Um, it's just another way of looking at content and saying that, you know, you can learn just as much from positive stories as negative stories. You know, let's not talk about all the stuff that went wrong. Let's talk about all the stuff that went right. I can like I that. Can I in here quickly? Please do. Um, third metric and the people at Huffington Post have actually done a study and found that positive stories are actually more shared than negative. Oh, okay. And I believe you have to be specific about what you disagree about. You don't yeah. ignore it. But I, abs- I agree with you, Jeremy, as a fan of Sprinkler. Yeah. Jeremy, you want to chime Thank in you. here? Yeah, sure. I, um, you know, I, I love what these guys are, are both saying. And, um, you know, a friend of mine is a professor of neuropsychology uh, at the University of Wisconsin. And I said, you know, my entire job as a marketer is to get people to remember. How do you do that? He says, you have to do all you need is to create that positive emotion, that emotion that that's what people hold on to. And, you know, I'm, I'm ex-Microsoft. So um, I was really Im- impressed by their Super Bowl ad about how, you know, people who can't talk or uh, disabled or what have you are, are having their lives improved through Microsoft technology. Like, that creates that positive affinity, which, you know, those things play into your, your purchase decision, your relevance. And, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that most content falls flat, and I think Tim made a great point. That's because most content starts off in this impersonal, uh, you know, as, you know, in changing global climate or whatever, you know, 
getting back to that, just we're dealing with people here. It's just about that's the social age is remembering there are people on the other side and people respond to positivity. They want that connection and then they'll, they'll pay it forward. Okay, that's all good points. And uh, anybody else, Kari or Tim, you want to join on something that Jeremy just said, or can I move it in another direction? I want to get really down to down to brass tacks here. Everybody good? Let's move on. Okay, let's move on. I have a, a note here from Kari specifically talking about writing content, creating content, which is really the guts of our conversation today. Three little words, memorable, get specific sooner. We've been talking so far about authenticity and spinning negative into positive and treating people in, a, in the best positive light and personal experiences. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty of actual writing. And, Kari, you offered this, but I'm going to ask Tim, who is uh, does so much writing and blogging. Tim, mm-hmm. I want you to start this one off first, if you don't mind. Then we'll ask Kari and Jeremy to chime in. Get specific sooner. What does this mean to you, Tim Clark? Well, it means... Um you know, as, as you just said, getting to the point much, much more quickly. I think, I think, you know, we're all pressed for time. We all have to choose very, very carefully, you know, what types of content we want to consume. That includes TV, that includes radio, that includes everything. You know, we're all pressed for time. We have to, I mean, I've got so many shows DVR'd, uh, you know, mm-hmm. on my DVR. I don't know what, what to watch next. There's just so much content out there. So you do have to be succinct. You have to get to the point much, much more quickly, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. I think the the pitfall, uh, the roadblock in getting to um, being a little bit more succinct is people try to just sound too smart all the time. And ah. I think the more you try to appear and sound as smart and as intellectual as possible, you're going to get tripped up over, again, all of the, the common pitfalls of the marketing jargon and the buzzwords. And so if you start from this place of authenticity, if you start from this place of, you know, gosh, if I could just tell the story this way, well, what's holding you back? Do that. Tell the story mm-hmm. that you want to tell. You know, again, keeping in mind that if you work for a company like SAP or IBM, don't go rogue and go off brand, but stay within the parameters. But people want to hear, you know, your story. And um, I think the best way, the fastest way to do that is to just, you know, get started and don't get tripped up with what others are doing before you, especially the bad content. You know, just make it your own. Good. And, and Tim, that also goes to the opening quote from you, tell the story you want to tell, not the story you think you should tell. And I think that goes to what you just said, skip the fluff and skip the, oh, I'm supposed to say, you'll never believe what happened, or start out with, it was a dark, rainy night and the noise from the cabin next door. You don't need to repeat that. We've all heard it, right? We've all heard the cup of gratitude story. So, so get down to the business of what you're trying to say. Jeremy Epstein, I know you have something to say about this. What about getting specific and getting there quickly? What are your thoughts yeah well actually if it's okay i mean i definitely have a thought on that but i really wanted to kind of uh follow up on on what tim said because i think he made yeah. a, a very brilliant point about you know the authenticity you know getting specifics critical obviously you know if you go back to you know the, the chip and dan heath book made to stick and their formula for stories that are memorable one of the key criteria criteria is being concrete and create that image and something that's very actionable and what have you. And I think that that's a great uh, lesson. But the thing that Tim said that really struck me, and I love his thoughts and Kyrie's thoughts as well, is, you know, especially when you work with a large company, and we only work with very large companies, so we're familiar with that, is, you know, you have this desire to be authentic and tell the story you want to tell, but at the same time, sometimes when you tell the story you want to tell, it isn't, 
you know, received well, or it goes negative in a viral in a negative way, or, you know, the higher ups kind of are like, what's going on here? And people's mm-hmm. fear of being, you know, the, uh, the, the thing that pops up and it's going to get whacked down and the whack-a-mole kind of so overwhelming that you can't tell that story. So Tim and Kari, I'd be really interested to hear from you guys. How do you Me help too. people get over this sort of aversion of taking that chance to tell the story you want to tell effectively? Kari? Um, a clinic system, 15 clinics, made an announcement. We're now going to be open at 6.30 a.m., and we're going to stay open until 8.30 because we found out that the people we serve, you, have more varied um, ways of working. See, when I say get specific sooner, this is the hardest thing and the most important thing that I work with people on because specificity and brevity demonstrates clarity. And in a time of shortening attention span, that's important. So increasingly, we are giving underbrush. We're giving qualifications, generalization. We don't answer questions directly. And I'll say my more provocative thing as well, I don't believe in storytelling. I believe in vignettes at the most, but more specifically, concrete offers or promises or guarantees. And you start with that specific, and then you give the general conclusion. Um, so a man from Genetech stood in front of a conference um, three years ago, and he rolled up his shirt sleeve, and he pointed the patch on his elbow, and he said, when the, our product goes on the market, you will feel the effects throughout your body faster than a Porsche can go from zero to 90. Mm-hmm. When a company or an individual gets very clear about their top goal, their main differentiating benefit, the ways they want to serve, their specificity starts to shine through. Great yes, I feel points. passionate about this. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. And, and Kari, I have to tell you, we love the case studies. We love the name dropping and the brands whenever you can because those are the takeaways listeners love on radio. They're not sitting there taking notes, but I know once in a while something will just pop and they'll say, wow, i got to tell somebody about that. And case studies are perfect for that. Tim, any thoughts on what uh, Jeremy and Kari have been talking about further? Yes, definitely. I mean, I think um – uh, you know, Jeremy actually raises some really interesting points, and um, you know, it, it's a constant work in progress, right? To to mm-hmm. cultivate talent, to create you know confident brand journalists, and I think one thing that we haven't really touched upon is that I, you know, in in the interest of of maybe doing less, um, not everybody should be doing this. I mean, oh, let's be honest, hey, you know, I think yeah, I think that. <laughs> Um, you know, we've kind of reached this inflection point of maybe, you know, managers shouldn't be challenging their direct reports to be, you know, quote-unquote more social. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe we really need to start focusing on the people who do it best and let them, you know, tell the stories and, and, and boost the overall quality of what's going on out there, you know. So I, I think that's one one way to, to sort of, at least address the problem in a different sort of way. You know, it doesn't really um, fully get into the, the nuts and bolts of, you know, working for a larger firm and, and, you know, setting expectations and things like that. But if you do keep the quality high, you know, your chances of success obviously are much, much higher, and higher-ups will, you know, see the, the value in that. And um, I'd like to provide a couple of good examples, if I may. Yeah, um, please, of course. So... Um, 
what we've done, for instance, with our Forbes Brand Voice platform, we cultivate all of our content on our SAP community network. The best of that content then goes to Forbes, which is obviously a much more mainstream audience. One example that I use quite a bit is um, with our cloud evangelist. Her name is Jacqueline Vanacek. Mm-hmm. Jacqueline is an interesting brand journalist because she actually doesn't get a ton of page views on Forbes or elsewhere. I mean, they're very respectable, but they're not, you know, runaway smash hit viral hits, you know. Um, but what she is doing is is pulling people to her. I mean, she knows her audience inside and out. She is landing some incredible meetings with incredible people around the world, government agencies to, um, you know, meetings at the White House. They're all relying on her expertise. She was able to do this just through her writing, you know, and so when you think about it in those terms, you know, what she's doing, um, you know, really leapfrogs this whole notion of, you know, just blasting out assets and email capture and all that stuff. I mean, she's absolutely, you know, helping the company kick off sales cycles because of her writing, you know, and I think that's pretty significant. Um, likewise, you mentioned a gentleman by the name of Todd Wilms. I don't know if Todd is listening, but... I think he is. Todd Todd wrote a really, really fantastic story about FedEx. If you remember uh, yeah. the unfortunate viral video of uh, a FedEx um, delivery man who wh- hurled a, you know, a TV or something over into somebody's yard. FedEx actually handled the situation very, very well. Um, they took all the appropriate you know, damage control steps, etc. Todd really <clears throat> identified with this story and wrote a blog about it. Um, and the blog did very well, got a lot of attention, including the attention of FedEx. FedEx Corporate Communications reached out to Todd and said, Hey, Todd, mm. would you like to come out to our offices and speak to us about social media? Now, what Todd did doesn't really maybe correlate directly to sales or um, you know, some of the hard ROI that people look for with, with blogging and things like that, but I think you can see the importance of just getting a meeting with you know, a really, really important company. I mean, that, again, was all done through good brand journalism. So um, I think if we focus on the quality, you know, um, and to counter a little bit of what Carrie's saying, I mean, good storytelling I still would maintain as important, and I think those are two good examples why. Tim, I have a question for you before Kari and Jeremy jump in, and I know they both want to. My, my question is, back in the day, I, I think a couple of you may remember when desktop publishing first came into being. We were talking uh, PageMaker days, the early genesis of Quark Express, and businesses all over were saying to anybody and everybody, you can design a newsletter, you can write an article, you can write our annual report. Everybody was under the impression that anybody could be empowered. Nobody said that a lot of people were going to do it very well. Nobody said said that they would master it quickly, but everybody became empowered and the whole concept of being a specialist became democratized and commoditized, if you will. So I'm going to ask you uh, quickly, Tim, do you think today where storytelling is such a mantra, tell the story that's in you, as you said, everybody is being treated as a potential great or at least decent writer? Sure, Mary, you can write the next blog. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Who is guarding the guarding the tower, if you will, or guarding the vault, Tim, in terms of assessing is Mary a good writer or damn, should we just take the keyboard away from her today? Who's who's guarding that? Real seriously, Tim. Well, um, 
speaking from personal experience, it's people like me. It's people like um, Derek Klobuchar, who works at SAP. He mm-hmm. has a master's in journalism from Columbia. And, you know, we were actually talking about these very same things last night. I was part of a panel, a uh, Forbes panel. We were talking all about brand journalism last night in New York City. Everybody had the same exact concerns. You know, how do you govern this? You know, how do you yes. keep an eye on That's the quality? The and it really is that simple. It's a very, very manual process. You know, it, it literally comes down to um, if you have the opportunity to have people send their content to you, uh, people who are editors and writers, uh, just for a, a quick test, you know, quick litmus test to make sure it's, uh, you know, relevant, um, you know, again, tells a decent story, isn't too self-serving, doesn't really call out a competitor. There's a little bit of a, a laundry list, a little bit of a checklist that kind of comes mm-hmm. to certain people naturally, I would say, whereas others who are just sort of entering the fray, you know, they may not understand that. So um, people like myself, Derek, we keep an eye on things. We approve content that is suitable for Forbes, and it seems to be a process that, that works very, very well. Um, and again, it's, it's all because we're focusing on the quality, not the quantity. And that doesn't mean to say that some of the other stuff that doesn't appear on some of these other channels is bad. Mm-hmm. It just may not be appropriate for a Forbes audience versus a SAP community network audience, that sort of thing. So we, we, we take know, a lot of time into... into we know into some of it is bad. Yeah. We know yeah. some of it is really bad. You right. and I know that. Kari Anderson, you know some of it's bad. And Jeremy Epstein, you know some of it's bad. Jeremy, we haven't talked to you in a while. Tell me, what do you think about weeding out and governing content in terms of who should be writing? What do you think? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a couple of great points in there. And we actually have a pretty cool case study that we have with uh, Cisco where, you know, Cisco, to Tim's point, there are uh, a ton of subject matter experts in Cisco who know everything in and out about, you know, routers and what have you. And to build those relationships, you know, they wanted to make sure that those people's expertise was brought forward um, mm-hmm. to better serve the community. At the same time, a lot of these people may not be great storytellers. So they had a specific uh, solution where they'd say, okay, you're create, you can create a video of how you solve a specific technical problem. But that video, um, you don't upload it to your own personal YouTube count, uh, site. You drop it into a, a queue, which then gets routed to essentially, you know, the brand marketing or the brand journalist team or what have you. They can review it. They can, you know, write around it. They can really take that raw content, polish that diamond, as it were, and mm-hmm. then make it available. So they were able to take the raw knowledge of people who may not necessarily, who should not necessarily be on the front lines, but still leverage it to build those relationships. Another example that, that kind of it comes in potentially, especially when you're talking about huge global brands, um, we work with a very large Asian-based uh, consumer electronics company. So what they do is, you know, as you know, they'll roll out new products in Asia and then two months later in Europe and a month later in, that, in, uh, in North America. So the challenge is, is how do you know what's the best content? So I think the answer is it's not just the qualitative assessment of people like Kari and and Tim who kind of see it, but the data around the performance. So after they roll out the product in Asia, they'll have the data on which of the seven, you know, product box shots or which of the five videos that we use on which channel at which time perform best. So then when the European team comes on, they already have the data to say, aha, why should I waste my time, for, you know, posting these five pictures? This number six is the one that really did the most in terms of engagement or reach or whatever. Let's just leverage that. So the two kind of work in hand. But, you know, you can't do that if you don't have an infrastructure 
to allow all of that routing and all of that data. But that's how you can. Those might be two examples of how you surface that quality, uh, that the quality that's within your organization, but at the same time make it available and keep it, um, you know, consistent with the brand and in the story or uh, or a vignette function, whichever one you prefer, that that um, will serve your goals. Thank you, Jeremy. Kari, thoughts on this? Um, a couple. Polish the diamond, throw the TV set over. Uh, brains remember the specific. I hate to go back to that, but it's true. And so it's not that I'm against storytelling. I'm in a priority. What is the specific detail? Second, what's the vignette? Third, if you got time for it, a longer story. So when you're trying to use analytics, which I definitely believe, uh, going back to what Tim said, it's not just quantity of people, of course. It's who you've pulled in that matters to your company and how have you warmed them up with credibility so that they want to engage more and learn more. So, again, it comes back to what's the first specific detail that you want to share with them, and it's like steps across a pond, um, both in responding to questions and to putting stories out. My final thing is I believe in gatekeeper role, such as Tim said, Mm-hmm. But after teaching people to be ambassadors of the company brand in about 22 companies, it's still a continual surprise to me as a journalist since I was 14 <laughs> that unexpected people that can learn to tell the story if they're taught or learn mm. to respond most quickly. So I think there's a role for both. The gatekeeper for Forbes, um, which I write on too, but also the opportunity to track what people throughout the company are saying and what response they're getting to the external stakeholders or prospects and customers, and be able to recognize and reward those people that are making that engagement as credible ambassadors. Thank you, Kari. And I want to seize on the word engagement, and I want to pick up a note that Tim Clark sent me before the show. He said, as far as engagement goes, it's not enough to post just a few blogs or send out a few tweets. You should be active on multiple blog spaces. You should participate in social communities, and you need to reply to blog comments. Tim, why don't you – we've got four minutes before we go to our final break before the crystal ball round at the end. So, Tim, why don't you be brief and specific and tell us who should be doing this engagement? Is it is somebody who just learned how to write or should be the main people tasked with brand journalism and, and approved and coached and, and mentored by people like you? Who should be doing this engagement? I think it's all the people. I think it's all of the stages of, you know, the, the cycle, um, the skill sets. I mean, I think it, it, it's mm. good for beginners to become more engaged as, as well as the, the more seasoned experts. Um, and again, I think the reason for that is because, you know, it's just not enough to publish something. You know, you have to understand that the good stuff comes later. You know, if you are privileged enough to grab somebody's attention and they do comment on it, even if they say, hey, nice job, really thought this was a useful story, um, you know, use that as an opportunity to comment back. Why not? What's the worst that could happen if you said thank you? I mean, what if a conversation took place offline on LinkedIn or something? You just don't know these things until you, you try it and you do it. I mean, and that's, I think, really what storytelling and blogging and brand journalism is all about. I don't think it's necessarily a push type of a thing. I mean, that's part of it. But if you're not following up on the tail end of that, you know, you're losing out. You know, it it's kind of loses the, the whole point of why 
we are being social, I think. Amen. Good point. Kari, I heard you sigh before. Were you sighing in approval or were you sighing with an OMG, I have to say something? What was that thought? Oh, no, amen. I was just agreeing <laughs> okay. with that. The lack of okay. engagement it seemed like a, a lost opportunity. And Jeremy Epstein and Sprinkler, what do you think? Agree, disagree? Yeah, Everybody no, should engage? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, if someone's passionate, you know, no matter what stage they're in, you want to figure out a way to, uh, you know, harness and, and point that passion. And maybe at the beginning you have a... You know, the Tim Clark or Kari Anderson training wheels, and then you take them off eventually. Um, oh, I but like absolutely, that. if you're, if you're passionate, let them go and, you know. I like that. The point where they can do it. I want to squeeze in one more topic. We've got two minutes. It's going to be very quick. Uh, Jeremy Epstein, going back to your opening thought, brands will not survive the social age without experience management. And then the comment you sent me, which is experience, we have to define it. Experience, Jeremy Epstein says, is the sum total of, get your pencils out, marketing, sales, service, store, web, email, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Flickr, RenRen, QQ, and Weibo. Wow, that's a long list. Jeremy, why don't you tell us, are these in the order of importance, and is every company of any size supposed to be involving all of these avenues and all of these channels in building experiences, which mean relationships? Talk to me quick. Yeah, the only problem is the list isn't comprehensive enough. There are you know, <laughs> many more beyond that, and it's not in order of importance because they're all important. It's every time that any of us, interacts with a brand, we have an experience, and that experience is either negative, neutral, or positive. And if it's inconsistent and it's not, you know, what we're expecting, then we walk away disappointed, and we cannot afford to have that. So everybody is responsible for experience um, and making sure that the customer or the community member is treated in a way that's consistent with what the brand wants, no matter where or when that customer uh, or prospect chooses to engage. So it all adds up. You know, you might have a, a great, um, you know, clean plane, but if the flight's late and they lose your luggage, you know, another part of the team lets you down. And what do you remember about that brand? Not too good. Kari, you have to admit it. It might have been a long list, but Jeremy was specific and to the point. Kari, I'll give you 30 seconds. Comments on building experience in multiple channels? Go. Like Jay Bauer said in Utility, it's offering the right kind of help at the right time and the right medium. So all of those mediums are helpful, but doing the right one, such as that app for the um, child safety seat. The car seat. Mm-hmm. Great. And Tim Clark, I'll give you 30 seconds also. Democracy here. What do you think about that list of building experience, all channels? Well, I, I think it makes sense for sure. Um, I think that... You know, I, I guess to use uh, you know the word holistic, I think you do need to kind of wrap it all together in a meaningful way. Um, I know that well with SAP we kind of struggle with that a little bit, and we're working to to become a little bit more holistic with our web, web presences and, and you know online social properties and things like that. So um, yeah, I mean, agree with with Carrie and uh, Jeremy absolutely. Thank you very much, and it's time for a break. You've all deserved it. You can go take about 90 seconds. That's all I can give you. Not on the generous side here. This is live radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham speaking in a very spirited conversation with Jeremy Epstein at Sprinkler, Kari Anderson at Say It Better, and Tim Clark, the blog father at SAP, and my colleague on the new services team. Yes, we've just been renamed. We're going to take our last break. When we come back, I'm going to pose a very tough question to my three panelists. The question is, if we met again, and I hope we do five years from today, 
today. That would be March 12, 2019. What do you think we would be talking about in terms of the evolution or not of social and content marketing? We'll be right back after the break. You know the drill. Don't even touch that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. Je pense donc je suis. I just threw that in for good measure. I do speak a little French. Jeremy Epstein, VP of Marketing at Sprinkler. You're up first, my friend, Crystal Ball. If we met again five years from today and we could plan that right after the show, what would you be saying about the evolution or not of social and content marketing? Will it get better? Will it get easier? Will the right people be doing it? You know the drill. Talk to me. Five years ahead, go. Sure. Well, it's a it's a Tuesday, so I'm available. We can do that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we'll, we'll be talking about a couple of things. One, we'll pro- we'll be talking specifically about which companies did not make it. They who did not uh, successfully <laughs> modify which company, which uh, the way they do content marketing, that how relevant they were. I think that's going to be a big question. Is like let's look at the graveyard. I mean, if you think back five years, how many companies have disappeared? It'll be the same and maybe even accelerated. And then we'll be talking about who really did a great job of understanding their audiences across all of these touch points and then empowering their employees to be advocates and how they did it by thinking, you know, holistically to Tim's earlier comment and, you know, really thinking about how do we um, engage in a relevant way um, at the right time with the right person at the right channel um, across, you know, large companies, small companies, what have you. I think that'll be a great conversation for us to have. I just blocked it out for us. <laughs> I thank you very much. It'll have to be a Wednesday because that's when Coffee Break is on, so it might be the 13th. Who cares? Uh, a quick question for you. Do you think we're going to see some stars emerge in terms of new styles of writing to all of Kari's wonderful points about specificity and getting to the point and being brief and, and Tim talking about being concise? Do you think we'll see some stars emerging in the content writing space specifically? Yes or no? And quick answer, Jeremy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the the narrative age. The brand. I love the brand journalism idea. There, there's no question we're going to see corp leaders within corporate, uh, you know, uh, environments who are effective storytellers 
who can reinforce the brand and who aren't going to, uh, to do damage. No question, it's a new, if I were a, a journalism student today, that's where I would be spending all my time is trying to figure out how to do that. No question. Interesting. We might even have to make a chair in the executive room. I didn't say the washroom, the executive boardroom for a CCO chief content officer. I'll perish the thought. Kari Anderson, thoughts. Five years from today, what would you be talking about in terms of social and content marketing? You're up. Um, there's an article called Talent Enabled Ecosystem by Eric Openshaw, a partner at Deloitte. I profoundly believe that we won't be talking just about employees, but the companies that stand out in the market will have done one thing better than the others. They'll have optimized and rewarded their key stakeholders' talents and mm-hmm. input because they'll have an aptly designed intranet or extranet or whatever we're calling it then. So all those people, the employees, the vendors, the customers, know it's in their interest to participate in the continuous improvement of the product design and the service and the messaging around that. Rewards will be intrinsic and extrinsic, recognition, financial and otherwise. Um, And there are only about five companies doing that well now. So uh, I think as a journalist, the people who are best able in their own pithy specific way to be responsive, proactive, and to cite other experts to reinforce their positions will have be sought after. Thank you very much. Good, good, good. And I know you will always continue to be sought after, and, and especially by us. Thank you, Kari, so much. And let's get to Tim Clark. Tim, five years ahead, what do you see in that crystal ball as the blog father? Well, I would hope that in five years we're not talking about what we're talking about today because that means that we haven't made any progress. Um, oh, good but point. But I also would hope that, you know, I, I think there's still – some leftover remnants of some ethics issues that we haven't really talked about today that, hmm. you know, we were kind of, SAP specifically, you know, we were kind of taken to task a little when we kind of jumped into this native advertising content marketing thing. Um, you know, we're getting too cozy with publishers, on and on and on. And hmm. while that noise has kind of dissipated, we've definitely proved, you know, that you can do this in an authentic way, in an ethical way. Um, you know, there's still some remnants of that. People don't trust this content that is kind of being merged with the general populace. And I would hope that that kind of goes away completely because um, those are the people who are going to be left behind, I believe. I mean, you know, marketing, advertising, publishing, you know, all of this stuff is just kind of merging together now. And I, I think that um, in five years, you know, it, it's just going to look so much, much different. This is really going to be commonplace, I think, this whole idea of content marketing, people telling stories, people being brand journalists. And, I, you know, that's just kind of my hope. I hope that really, truly does happen and that this isn't sort of a passing buzzword or phase because I do see some really, really fantastic benefits happening now. And I can't wait to see... What comes next, to be honest with you? I mean, I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like is my answer. Um, Well, we're going to have to keep in touch with you, Tim, over the next five years. I'm going to just get you all back for part two in a couple months so we can do this in stages instead of waiting five years, if that's okay with you. (laughs) 
Tell you what, I have some predictions, but I can only see seven days ahead, and I'll tell you why. Because we are doing five live shows a week now on SAP wow. Game Changers Radio here. Oh, yeah, here on the business channel on World Talk Radio, a.k.a. Voice America. Let me tell you about them. Tomorrow is the double day. We do Future of Business with Game Changers at 7 a.m. Pacific. It's worth getting up for. Right, Dave Fowler? He's sponsoring the series Thursday afternoon. Startup Focus with Game Changers, an intimate look at the people in the startups who are impacting different verticals. Tomorrow, I think, is CPG Consumer Products. Next Monday, we're back with Financial Excellence with Game Changers. You want to know everything about financial transformation? That's the place to be. That is Monday, 10 a.m. Pacific. Tuesdays, we're back with Biz Buzz with Game Changers, final show of a 13-week series next week. After that, we resume a renewal of HR Trends with Game Changers. And next Wednesday, I'll be right back here on our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Special. Thank you, Jeremy Epstein at Sprinkler. A pleasure. Kari Anderson, say it better. You always do. And Tim Clark at SAP, we have to talk more. Delighted to welcome you to the show. And a shout-out to, of course, Todd Wilms. I know you're listening. Can't wait to see your tweets. Thank you, as always, to my co-producer, Malcolm Kimberlin. And thank you to Brad and the Business Channel team for getting us and keeping us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. It's been a pleasure. What a great conversation. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelts. What are you waiting for? And that includes the child seat, Kari. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for, moms and dads and bloggers and content marketers all over the world? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you tomorrow on Future of Business with Game Changers. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.